This is Monica Perez here today with returning guest, Dr. Paul Cottrell, who spoke to us before about the insidious nature of the global bioweapon we've all just been exposed to. And he is here today to continue that conversation and tell us a little bit more about where it came from and how it will continue to affect us and add in some of the international aspects of it. So once again, divers, strap on your tanks. We're going deep with the dive master. So thank you so much for being back, Dr. Cottrell. We did have a good, robust conversation last time and I expect to have another one now. So thank you very much. Hope all is well. Well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. I do want to kind of dedicate the show because this actually is the Yisker from my mother. Um, she passed away a year ago. Oh boy. Shoot. And COVID. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. Well, we will dedicate this to her and hope that we remember that you remember the good things. I always find that even if people are super sick when, after they die, you can, it kind of brings back their youthful, the good parts of those. My mom's 94 and I'm not looking forward to the day I have to say goodbye to her, but we've had a wonderful life together. Yeah, when when when, I, when someone passes away, you know, over time, um, all the good time seems to blossom more than the negative. That's true. Yes, I do, and time does heal all wounds. So let's talk about. Uh, so let's talk about COVID. Where I know that you have some interesting ideas about, or um, research about where it came from, and I've always kind of. People talk about the lab leak theory, and my opinion is, you know, I'm with you all the way, except for the fact that I don't think it was leaked. I think it was released. But I want to know everything that you have to say about the research that you have done and also the opinions. I mean, we can separate that out, stuff that you know to be true and conclusions that you've drawn about the origins of what I'm calling a bioweapon. I don't even know if you would categorize it that way. So let us know. Tell us what you think. Okay, so it is a bioweapon, and it, there's a more than 20-year arc of development from Dr. Barrick. So we- Who is Dr. Barrick? So I know people can go back to the original conversation, but let's recap that. Okay, so Dr. Barrick uh, has done a lot of research on beta coronaviruses, and uh, his research starts with beta coronaviruses in around mid-80s. And was that in a professional or academic government? Uh, well, it was scientific government kind, yeah. of, kind of stuff. Right. And then okay. as time went on and um, the, the United States wanted to accelerate their, their beta coronavirus program, um, Dr. Barrick was one of the lead researchers in weaponizing beta coronaviruses. So, um, so he, he, is affiliated with the with um, University of North Carolina. All right. So, but there are many universities that are that are tied to the weapons program, uh, gain of function research. Right. Um, even Harvard's one, <laughs> and also the Duke University's one. You know, Texas A and M. And there's a lot of them. All right. And it's not just in the United States. There was also laboratories in Canada. There are laboratories in in Europe and the famous laboratory in Wuhan. So let's start. I, I have coined the phrase, the unified field theory of SARS. All right. And what that, that whole term means is that the developmental arc of SARS, 
That's SARS-CoV-1, SARS-CoV-2. So it starts with Dr. Barrick doing research with beta coronaviruses and how beta coronaviruses in rabbits was causing myocarditis. All right. So this is part of the reason why we're starting to hear a lot about myocarditis. All right. Beta coronaviruses are known to cause. And he was noticing this in the 80s. You said the rabbit observation was in the 80s. So that was something he observed in nature. He was uh, he was trying to elicit disease in the laboratory with rabbits and beta coronaviruses. All right. So from that research, that goes on from around 86 to around 95 or so. All right. And um, as that's happening, he's understanding, you got to remember the rudimentary tools in biotech back in the 80s and early 90s isn't as advanced as today. I mean, CRISPR wasn't invented yet or discovered. You know, there were a lot of rudimentary molecular biology techniques that he was using in the 80s and the 90s compared to today where it's almost like Star Trek, you know, kind of technology, man. So, um, so it took a while to understand this, understand the genome of the beta coronavirus, uh, cutting it, slicing it, mutating it, right? It took a, a lot of effort to understand the pieces of the beta coronavirus. So uh, from 86 to around, uh, around 95 or so, uh, he compiles this information. And as time goes on, he's building up a case to be able to uh, get a grant from Fauci. That grant was issued on April 2001. All right. Now, that was to study um, beta coronaviruses. All right. And what happened out of that $1 million grant was the development of SARS-CoV-1. At that time, it wasn't even SARS-CoV-1. This whole nomenclature that we're using is relatively new. It was just SARS. And, and what when so, so in the early two thousands, and that that was something that people were getting. What region was that affecting? Okay, so th- that's a very good question. So in two thousand and two, in November, and remember, November seems to be a really important month when it comes to weapons. China sees its first case of SARS. It's never been around since, you know, before, before 2002. And uh, um, so it pops up, the first case pops up in 2002. The, the point I'm making at this, this, the genesis of SARS, this whole arc of development, starts with the beta coronavirus research that was done in the 80s and the 90s and enhanced in Barrick's lab and released in 2000, between 2000, uh, uh, early 2002 to uh, November, which was the first case in 2000, 2002. So why do you think it was released? Where did he do his research? Well, why you got to go back. You got to go back. Right. You have to go back and go, what happened in 2000 and in 1999? This is the white paper 
that starts to take place in um, in the intelligence um, agencies and in the think tanks, the beginnings of 9-11, all right? We're talking about we have to have a, yeah. a Pearl Harbor yes. event. The idea of, you know, that, that, that we have to shock the system to be able to be on a war footing. Oh. Right? This is the Paul Wolfowitz. That's interesting. That we're starting to, and, 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 and Have you ever our, read Report from uh, Iron Mountain? Report from Iron Mountain was in the 60s, and what it did was it talked about having that actually the threat of war is what gives governments power, and as nuclear weapons reduce the credible threat of those kind of wars, they need something to take that place, and I thought COVID was definitely that, and also terrorism is that, environmental problems, global environmental problems, so this ties right into that. Right. This was this the, the the first trial balloon of this whole bioweapon type thing was when and remember the anthrax yes, right after nine eleven. Right. So you had the white paper saying we have to have a nine eleven in so Absolutely. many terms, right? Um, and during that period of time, there there have been documents that uh, kind of prove that we were moving towards a war footing before nine eleven. Nine eleven happens. I personally think it was it, it was orchestrated. We let it happen. You know, this wasn't an accident. We let this thing happen. And it uh, moved us towards a war footing. And many people bought into this idea of, okay, we have to control the Middle East, you know, for eternity and, and give away your civil liberties through the Patriot Act. If you remember, during that, that, that first couple months after 9-11, they were interviewing many soccer moms out there saying, well, you know, would you give up your civil <laughs> liberties to protect the right? And of course they, you know, they said, yes. So, you know, the terrorists are yeah, out there, right. they're everywhere, they're around the corner. So there was a big erosion of our civil liberties and that, that gave the, um, they, that uh, opened up the door for a, additional emergency powers and the building up of the national security state. It gave the FBI more powers, it gave the CIA more powers. It was the buildup of Absolutely. the TSA. Snowden, you know, started warning about what was going on in the NSA. You know, a lot of things were happening that's tied to create an event and uh, add to uh, uh, powers of the national security state. So 9-11 and, and the SARS uh, bioweapons program is part of, uh, you know, a larger picture. Um, and that, that is this a war footing, all right. So, so the, the papers that were being published by um, uh, Wolfowitz and um, um, you know nine eleven happens. The grant was given in April two thousand and one. Nine eleven happens in September. The anthrax scare is starting to happen. And in that, in the, in during this period of time, the United States was moving towards a, a additional capability in terms of surveillance of biological weapons and having and having more deployment. Wow, capability. hold on, time out. I'm just thinking of something. So I feel like this is around the time that we're transitioning. Or I should say now is when we've transitioned from the military-industrial complex to the medical industrial complex and this element of surveillance i for the longest time i've been it's been echoing in my mind that a prominent 
whatever statesman type guy had said for decades that we need a national health service just for the information, just so that you can get biometric data, just so that you can know where everyone is at all times. And that does seem more effective than just tracking terrorists because it's everybody. And, and I noticed that Obamacare, even not even like the Selective Service or Social Security cards, but is the one thing where every single man, woman, and child needs to be registered. Exactly. And, and, and think about who was the one that started heading up uh, Homeland Security. Yes. And he is, he was tied to the Chernoff, right. He had he had an interest in it financially. He's a dual citizen with Israel, which has a very different liberty profile than we have. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. You know, so, so That's there, was, right. there was a movement towards this spectral dominance in biologics. All right. So Barrick was on kind of the cutting edge of using common cold virus. You know, one of the common colds are through beta coronaviruses, the garden variety. Um, and uh, how do you kind of weaponize that or make it more severe? So they release it. It didn't take hold. If you remember during the SARS scare in late 2002 to, you know, 2003, it didn't last for very long, right? It kind of died out. And part of the reason why it died out was that it didn't have the secret sauce, all right? <laughs> all right? And that secret sauce was a, a higher affinity to the ACE2 receptor, all right? It was worse than the garden variety. But it, 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 so you got to remember, they were using tools that they, it was rudimentary back in the 80s and the 90s, right? So, um, so it, it didn't have the lethality and it didn't, it wasn't able to spread as well. So, all right. In 2000, so where do, where do some of the beta coronaviruses come from? Well, they, they come from different types of species, right? Around the world. One line um, uh, is bats, the horseshoe bat. There's, there's a few others, right? And so Dr. Shi, who's the bat woman, right, from Wuhan, was studying in, in 2005 um, and categorizing different bat species and um, a, a, a different uh, uh, SARS-like bat versions from caves, all right, in China. So these uh, were analyzed by her. And she was, she was focusing more on why is it a natural host? So like not all viruses will kill a host, right? You know, kill. Uh, right. Uh, Most of them don't. It, viruses fact, don't kill it, the host usually. You know, so it's, it's so it, 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 she was trying to understand what is going on with the immune system to prevent this um, virus from taking hold and killing the bat, right? So she was studying the virus and the immune system of, of this. So she, her research from 2005 to 2007 gets to the point where she's doing an experiment, a really important experiment that she publishes it in February 2008. And that experiment is taking bat SARS-like virus that she saw in, in bats and SARS, which is developed by Barrick, all right? 
which was released. All right. Combine them in a plasmid. A plasmid is, uh, is a kind of a circular molecular structure that has some code. She put bat SARS and she put SARS in that plasmid. And she put it into a Petri dish that had specialized cells. These specialized cells are kind of the famous aborted fetus cells, the 293. But they don't have to be, right? Do they? Um, the, the reason why they use them is, is that they're early in the, the evolution of, 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 the, of the cell, so it's easier to program it yeah, to do okay. things. Well, they're more uh, compared malleable. To in, in, instead of Bones, taking, yeah. instead of taking um, bone marrow, um, like a right. stem cell, yeah. So adult stem cells, they're a little bit farther along in its development umbilical? process. So it's kind of long. Epigenetic, Are umbilical epigenetic. also malleable? You know, I well, I mean, the placenta is a really important piece to save. I know they <laughs> throw it away. Because, I think it's <laughs> no. I just say that should be frozen because. In, in time, we are going to have the technology to be able to use those stem cells to help with. So when you're you're telling us these this process that she went through, processes that Barrick went through, what are your resources? Are these resources that are available to the public? Are you researching? Yeah. Right. All you have to do is type Dr. Barrick, University of North Carolina, CV, mm -hmm. his resume. And it has all of the NIH wow. number fundings, and it will show you exactly and how he, you know what he wow. was doing in what decade. And it, I would love to right link there. that. His CV, it is C, his C, his CV. Okay. It's on my website actually, but but um, so uh, but it's uh, the key two, the two key pieces of this is his CV and the research that was published by Dr. Shi. And some others from the Wuhan Institute on this experiment that I'm okay. that I'm explaining. So so once they did that, um, once they did that, they they put it into the two ninety the the two ninety three cell line, and they mixed it with a pseudovirus. That paper shows the in the method section. It shows them how they did this. All right. So when you do this in mass, there are going to be recombinations naturally just by accident, by randomness. And you can cell select for capability. For right. I totally I have to interrupt you because I totally think that's how evolution works, that it's not Darwinian origin of the species from the random selection. It's more Lamarckian where they say there's all this DNA that we don't really use and they don't know what it's for. And I think it's just all these mutations that have accumulated. And if there's some environmental trigger, I think they call it developmental plasticity or something, they, those things get turned on and you can actually pass those on as active then to your offspring. I'm not asking you to opine on that. I just like that little... I feel like I, I like to mm -hmm. crack the code on but, evolution because Darwinian evolution randomness is not possible mathematically. In my, I've concluded. Yeah, I mean it's. This I is know, a big I know, but I just like to zip <laughs> these things in. This yeah. is a, a let's no, 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 right. little potpourri you know, because there's pieces, there's 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 elements of 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 themes that need to be borrowed by different theories to to really explain what's really going on. To say that it's just Darwinian, no. But there are okay. So 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 the point here is in their laboratory, they were they were they were um, able 
to recombine the some of the code of the plasma that's coding for the spike protein and the, the pseudovirus, this HIV pseudovirus. And in some of the lines where that recombination happened, uh, they were uh, testing affinity to different receptors, the ACE receptors. So they had an, an ACE2 for the bat, they had an ACE2 for the human. And they found that in some cell lines that had this re special recombination, it had a high affinity to the ACE2, human ACE2 receptor. This is the gain of fun. This is the beginning of the gain of function using the HIV homology. That's Wait, the key. HIV of this, of this whole homology. Thing. Tell this, me about that. The HIV. The, all right. So because she, Dr. She, put that plasmid in the 293 cell line with a, a pseudo HIV virus, some of the code of the HIV virus mixed with the code that was in the plasmid. Do you think that HIV and, causes AIDS? I'm not sure everybody, Carrie Mullis didn't think so. Didn't you ever read the Duesberg well, book, Inventing the AIDS Virus? Well, you know, that's a AIDS is a disease. It's a syndrome. HIV no, is a virus. It's the same thing. COVID is a disease. SARS I'm just saying, if you contract HIV as the virus, I'm not sure that's sufficient to develop AIDS, the syndrome. What is sufficient to develop AIDS as a syndrome is the uh, reduction of the okay. CD4 count. So, okay. So we'll, right, we'll, so, we'll save that for another day, no. but I highly recommend Duesberg's okay, book, so Inventing the, the AIDS Virus. Keep going. Well, this gets to the point where the SARS arc of development is weaponizing AIDS, HIV. Okay. This is the point that I'm making here. SARS-CoV-2 is the scaffolding for a weapons program for HIV. <laughs> so, but so like, do you think a healthy here. person who's exposed the, to HIV could get AIDS? Well, let, 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 let's just. Focus I, I can. On I'm happy to, but to, I, I feel like a, I think HIV <laughs> right. hasn't actually been weaponized. But that's. But I'll let you say what you what you HIV, think. You no, know, but HIV. Well, we'll get. We to don't this, have to. We don't HIV have to. Part, right? I got it. Look, but I, so, I so, learned. So I got to tell you something. The, I learned in radio that if you think something different from what's being said, you kind of have to assert that. You can let the other guy tell a story, but you have to assert that or people just assume that you agree with it. But I'm very interested in what you have to say, but the HIV AIDS thing is a little um, complicated. HIV, HIV cannot be weaponized because it's liquid transmission. Okay. I, I hear you, but let's go back to the other stuff. It's, 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 as, as a weapons program, it would be yes. hard even the official story is hard to but, deploy. Yeah. But if right, but if you put it into a package that is that that it has a high affinity to uh, lung tissue, um, it's a Trojan horse. So, all right. So, so with 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 Doctor Shi's paper, she took certain components of HIV and put it in the same cell that had the plasmid of the bat SARS in the SARS, all right? That, what happened was it mixed. And in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases, it had a high affinity to the ACE2 receptor. So this is the beginnings of, the, of that jump, that gain of function, high affinity to the human ACE2 receptor, and they have the code. 
It wasn't a fully functioning virus because it was just the plasmid and the pseudovirus that was in the, the, the 293 cell line. But we have high affinity now, and then they know the code. For, and it's published in 2008, in February. That goes back to Barrick. And now he has the scaffolding to plug in the higher affinity for the ACE2. What is their argument for doing this gain of function research? I mean, are they just saying, well, oh, if we if we don't do it, Russia or China will do it and then we'll be vulnerable? Is that really their just like decades long story? Well, they want spect they, they want right. spectral dominance okay. in biologics. So when you have when you are able to deploy a respiratory infection into an urban environment because that's hard to control, especially in the Middle East, right? Because you got to remember what was going on in 2008, 2009. The hunt for Obama. Right? We're, we're, for Osama. We're, we're, you know, <laughs> that is so crazy that Obama was the president. <laughs> when Osama was the world's enemy. Right? Okay, good. So, so, we, so we were having a lot of problems in the, in the urban environment in Iraq. Wow. Right? So, so, so this is... This is a tool to be able to drop in the Middle East if your soldiers are inoculated. Right. Yes. Right? Yes. You would be able to drop this weapon in an urban environment, have those people get sick, right. and then you clear it. You Isn't clean, that you illegal, out. though? Like, right. aren't they really not allowed to admit that that's what they're doing? Or is that are they allowed to do it in Ukraine or other countries well, this or is China? The reason why they're not supposed to do this because this is against the Geneva Convention, the Helsinki Accord. This is war crimes. What they're doing is it's, it's, it's war crimes. So, so this is the reason why they're doing it, is to have spectral dominance in biologics, use it in the battlefield, primarily in an urban environment. Now, at that same time, when Barrick is building up the scaffolding, taking the code that that Dr. Sheet had, plug it into the scaffolding. They were running it in a serial passage, all right? They were running it in different animals and further enhancing it. This is the development of the multiple receptor capability. There's more than 20 receptors that SARS-CoV-2 hits, not at all of the same affinity. So what happens is um, there, there are multiple kind of pathologies that can start to, be, to develop when certain uh, receptors are activated. If it's the ACE2 receptor, it's going to be more pulmonary, right? Um, but we have a lot of ACE2 in our body, so it's not just pulmonary. Um, and we have CD147 that's tied to our red blood cells. It's also, we have 209, which is tied to the macrophages. What are There's the macrophages? to show again? that CD4, so the macrophages is what's kind of right, right. The, right? There's different types of macrophages, but what happens is, is that the macrophage will get infected and it normally per, it, it acts as an uh, antigen presenting cell and starts to activate the T cells. Well, what they found in SARS-CoV-2, and this is where HIV starts to come in, into play here, SARS-CoV-2, in some cases, uh, will get into, because of the macrophage, will get into the thymus to try to activate the T cells, 
And actually what happens is, is that there's an apoptotic process that takes place and it brings down your seat. And that's good, right? Apoptosis, no, I thought was good. Really, no, 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 no. The, the apoptosis of oh, your that's immune bad. cells. <laughs> okay. I was thinking like versus yeah. necrosis. Apoptosis of right. the cells that are infected by SARS-CoV-2. Yes, okay. Okay. All right. So this is the reason why in some cases we have been seeing uh, lower CD4 counts with, with SARS-CoV-2 patients. And there seems to be a correlation between uh, severity and the depletion of the T cells in the thymus. Now, now that is like AIDS. Is a drug that the Chinese. That's like the, AIDS, right? Uh, the T cells go down and the problems go up. Yeah. That's why. I'm, yeah. Right, right, right. That's it's it. AIDS-like nice. syndrome, right? So okay, so um, so they do the serial passage over time. You know, between two thousand and eight all the way to around two thousand and fifteen or so. During that period of time. 2009 to about 2013, it's also on the CV and on Barrick. He's working with Dr. Sims. Dr. Sims is a researcher in Barrick's lab, and they are working on vaccines uh, using the beta coronavirus SARS scaffolding as the vector for influenza and HIV. So they were building a shield in their lab while they were doing the serial passage. See, when you're doing, when you're developing bioweapons, you have to have a shield, right? You have to build, build right. an antidote, yes. Yes. either, either a vaccine antidote or some therapy therapeutics. So during this period of time, DARPA is working with different companies. All right. Barrett is developing, um, you know, a, a certain line of, of shields. Right, using using the the beta coronavirus vector as the vaccine, um, specific to influenza and HIV. Moderna was working on the messenger RNA platform, right, um, and the lipid nanoparticle. Uh, I believe Moderna in 2017 publishes a paper where they really that was kind of like their gate was open to be able to use it potentially as a shield. They were having problems having the lipid nanoparticle be able to wrap and protect the messenger RNA. And that messenger RNA had to be a certain size, right? And um, different lipid nanoparticles, uh, the PEG 2000, which is the lipid nanoparticle they use, it, is large enough to be able to capture the size messenger RNA that's needed for SARS-CoV-2, all right? So um, as a vaccine, the S1 subunit. There are other lipid nanoparticles for smaller messenger RNAs that were in development and that were working before 2017, okay? So the point here is, is that during that serial passage development that was going on in Barrick's lab from 2008 to, you know, to around 2015, they're also working with SIMS to create this vaccine vector. And DARPA is working with other facilities, other companies, building up a shield. Monoclonal antibodies, messenger RNA, protein vaccines that were uh, the nanoferritin um, 
uh, nano uh, uh, ferritin like, is, is self assembly. Is that the Novavax one? So if you hit those, the protein sub uh, Novavax. Novavax is another one that they were working on. It's like the Novavax. My understanding is it's using it is a so there are like different types of vaccines. There's like the protein right. only vaccine, which would be Novavax. Um, uh, the nanoferritin would be a protein okay. only. Um, uh, there then which the message RNA Pfizer. platform, and then there was then there was the adenovirus, which is, which right, is like Johnson. So, so there were, there were a group of pe there were a group of companies that were developing shields while the serial passage was happening through DARPA funding. All right. Now, now, uh, yeah, when this is, is this? Pre, this is, this is pre, this is, this is before. Yeah, so like they decided right? on this bioweapon because that was the, the one that they could, that they had the antidotes for. Because they're probably doing a lot of well, stuff were, parallel. They, you know what I mean? Like they, you have to pick one. Many they, are called, but few are chosen. Yeah, a lot of it was parallel. Um, and the problem was, is that they knew that there was porosity in the shield. So they they knew that it wasn't right. fully That's why people keep, still get it and time. still transmit it. And have vaccine injury. That's also why they have vaccine um, injury? So because it gets out? Yeah, yeah. Well, because the body, that S1 oh, subunit yeah. is causing such many different why, in inflammatory why problems. Why did they use the spike protein as the protein in the vaccines? Why not use a more benign segment? Well, the idea here is, is that if you had a high level of titers, um, and that virus is in that you would be able to kind of lock that virus. So it's more effective. Because the spike protein is, it's, it's more effective before fusion to a Which cell. Which they had to solve that problem before they could even make it as a vaccine. Otherwise it. I mean, yeah. you could have, you could have, you could have, you know, different other okay. components that you could break up and create, but it's, probably the most effective in trying to mitigate fusion to okay. the cell. I'll, I'll right. accept that as so, right. any so, vague explanation. I just thought the spike protein is so dangerous, why they would use that as the basis of the vaccine. What argument could they possibly have? But if it's more effective, it's well, more effective. Well, they, they all you, know, the, you know, here, here. Yeah, right, right. You know, the, the idea here is, is that in, in the, in the, um, this, in Spike, there's the S1 subunit, the, the upper part, where there's the binding domain, and then you have the stalk, right? In natural infection, we get antibodies from both. In, in eliciting antibodies from a vaccine, you would only get right. it from the S1 subunit, which is okay. the binding protein. Now, here's the problem is, is that we, because of that serial passage, right, that Barrick was doing, multiple receptors were being added were being activated or, or have capability for affinity, right? Because of that, there's a complexity that's going on that just because you, just because um, you have antibodies to one don't binding domain, that doesn't mean you're protected in another area for a different receptor. And this is the, this is what I call the pinballing effect, that you can't reach herd immunity and you don't really have good coverage, uh, even with high titer levels, uh, with these vaccines because of these multiple domains that 
that okay that are are buying different different receptors. So okay, so in two thousand and two thousand and um, fifteen, Barrick and Dr. Shi write a paper talking about the emergence of MERS. Now, what's happening in the Middle East during this period of time is the ramp up in Syria. So they were planning on starting to do to to drop and MERS and, and SARS right. are basically the same thing, except you know, one is mutation from a camel. Right? <laughs> right. So what they were what they were working on in the laboratory with SARS, they were also doing with MERS. So so they were kind of hinting that there was going to be a release of MERS in the, in the Middle East shortly after 2015. Well, we had the election in, in 2016, Trump wins, right? Hillary was really supposed to. They wanted I don't know about that. Right? I think you they know. could go either way. I think he did what he needed to do. Really? He really? kept dropping they, bombs they, and he I gave us warp answer. speed and gave us the emergency lockdown and everything. Yeah. Well, I think that they, I think at that moment in time where it was, you know, when the election was taking place in 2015, I think that the national security state was putting their eggs with. Yeah. With I wouldn't be surprised Clinton. if they would have preferred her if they could get away with it and if people would have accepted her diktats. But it, you know, the pendulum swung mm-hmm. with Trump and I think they were, they were, he, he did what well, he needed to the- for them. I, I think I think Hillary Clinton sig- signals, and you know, again, this is you know revisionist history. I guess you know yeah. it's hard to go back to you know back to the start and rerun the rerun the the history play. But um, uh, Clinton, I think, signaled that she wanted to increase activity in Syria. Yes. Okay. Trump, in his first hundred days in office, wasn't going to play that game, and they they were. Yeah. They were baiting him. I mean, he did it. Yes, I agree with that. He didn't. He did. He didn't. He he was pulling out. He didn't accelerate it, but he he didn't really slow down those thirty thousand year bombs a year either. But that's all right. All right. Okay. So, so MERS well, in Syria. Acceleration. You know, the, the, the Syria was starting to ramp down in activity, not accelerate. All right. Now that would mean that. Um, they didn't really, they, 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 that this whole Middle Eastern version of SARS, this MERS, um, wasn't going to be dropped. All right. Now, dynamics were changing because of Trump and, and what was going on in China. There was a lot of back and forth with the whole trade problem. See, when you're dealing with biologics and you're dealing with war in general and the whole national security state, it's all about the petrodollar and hegemonic power, right? And so there was a lot of back and forth in terms of trade issues between Trump and China, right? So I think the national security state moved their moved their eye away from the Middle East. Instead of using MERS, they ended up dropping SARS, Cove 2 all right? Now, there were there was a counterintelligence. There, there was joint development between the United States. There was a joint development between the United States and um, and China during this. Okay, period where of time. are we now? Time wise, not twenty fifteen anymore. We've moved forward before 20, okay. 2019. 
in between 2015 to 2019. So in 2014, Obama officially says no more gain of function right. in the United States. All right. So what happens is, is that things start to go dark. Gain of function research was still happening mm -hmm. in the United States, but some of it was outsourced. All right. Some of that was in Canada. Some of it was in Europe and some of it was in before casinos China. enriched now, the American Indian tribes, they used to do, they were able to do on the reservations research that was illegal in the United States. I find that interesting. So now, now after they yeah. no longer really weren't dependent on that money, it went to other countries. All right. So in 2015, in 2015, um, gain of function research wasn't supposed to be done in the United States. But it was still happening. It goes dark. And there's further development in other countries. There is some sort of counterintelligence thing going on between the United States and China. For us to understand what capabilities they had, we were kind of doing this dual research with SARS-CoV-2. Interesting. All right? So there was this counterintelligence thing going on. They were getting information from us. We were getting information from them. You got to remember, Dr. Xi had the secret sauce with that paper mm -hmm. in 2008. But through EcoHealth Alliance, NIH money was flowing through EcoHealth Alliance and, and funding research at Wuhan. And that's Dr. Xi's laboratory, right? So there's further development that's going on here. Then someone made a decision. I don't know if it's Trump. I don't know if it's... Uh, high ups uh, just in the national security state because, you know, you got JSOC, you have, you have SAC, which is part of CIA. Um, so you have like a special ops team that can do these kinds of things. All right. Uh, and they drop it. Now there were probably at least three drops that take place in 2019. One's okay. probably happening in around August because okay. fever clinics were starting to pop up in yeah. 20, August in, sounds right. yeah. 2019 in China. Right. Something happens around October. This is when the, October is, the games. Yeah. This is when the games and, and actually event 201 happens. Right. And I think I always felt that event 201 was they, they had to have already been confident that they had something that was going to work or something that was happening then. I felt like it, it was, it's not like, it's not like it dropped the day after event 201. No, I think, I think that the, the, the first version, you get, you got to remember with serial passage, right. they have a whole library of lethality, right? So because of that library of lethality, um, they, they probably, put down something that was not as they didn't know you know how it would take hold right because it was never released to the public right and SARS-CoV-2 at that time so um so something happens in August they communicate it through event 201 something happens most likely during the um the uh the games there was there was like a military game thing that was going on in, in October Right, like world military games yeah, yeah. in China, right, right. right? 
and then and then uh, something seems to be taking hold in November. All right. Yes. Okay. Wait. So we've got a couple of comments here. Uh, Frightening me wants to know if you are saying that Strategic Air Command airdropped this. No. Is that what you're saying? No. No. SAC is okay. is part of the CIA division of JSOC. And what it, does JSOC stand for? Uh, Joint. I, I, you got to You got okay. I don't remember. Joint. Okay. But JSOC so, is the is the the Joint Command. And then there's a there's right. a division of it. Joint Special Operations the, the, Command. Right. And then right. there's and then there's a there is a um, a CIA component to it, and that's SAC. Okay. Now when and, I say drop, what I mean yeah. is yeah. they released it to the public. How right. they drop how they dropped it or how they Yeah, that was it, my it, question it, too. And so you think that just because of the evidence that that's when it was out there, not because there's any smoking gun that a decision was made. It's just that that's when it appeared. It appeared I mean, I agree with that. It appeared on those in, yeah. in dynamic, these flu-like syndromes, because at that yes. time they didn't have any term for it, flu-like right. syndrome, but it, it wasn't the flu. It wasn't a flu. Right? Right. Started to pop up in China in these key moments. It was in August, October, November. All right. So, all right. So, most likely there were three drops. But if you remember, there were five genomes that were released by Wuhan when the crisis supposedly starts. Well, there's two missing. (laughs) You know, it's five genomes, but we have three data points on, on infection. All right. Well, some of them, I've talked to you about this before, that there four out of those five came out of the four places where AstraZeneca was doing their vaccine trials. I, I never thought that could possibly be a coincidence. It was a one-to-one correlated, but maybe you're talking about like before that, that this was the genome thing that was- Genomes, there were four genomes that were medium. released by Wuhan. Uh, there, uh, there, were, uh, okay. five, there were five genomes that were released by Wuhan, Wuhan in December. Did they have names? At that time, they had they had numbers. NA, the NIH number. They have the, the, yeah, and then they changed that. Right, right. So the like very Wuhan confusing vi- it was like Wuhan virus code such and such, and then got it. Yeah. Okay, so it was then August, October, and November or December. What was your third big drop? The third drop was probably November. November. Yeah. All right. So, but they released their their code to the public, right? And it's data banked at the NIH. Uh, officially, right, um, in in uh, in December, okay, so or January, I think it's data banked in January. It's investigated in December. Now, what is interesting is um, what is interesting is that those three data points that I was mentioning. There's two, there's two codes that don't seem to fit, all right? Now, you got to remember, in a, in a bioweapons program, you're going to have companies that are part of the shield. AstraZeneca was part of the shield. Moderna was part of the shield, Okay. right? The, the virus is the sword, right? Um, okay. So, uh, okay, so they... they, they people pu- are going to get... People are going to give me a hard time because uh, the virus is so, the vaccine is so ineffective and 
But I, I do think, I mean, I, I, I agree, agree with Max give it that much, but, but, I, I was but that, they do. I was stating that, that they knew, they knew right. before the drop that it wasn't ready for prime time. Right, right. Okay. But they right. made the okay. decision, whoever made the decision, I don't know if it was Trump or someone, in, you know, through JSOC or SAC or whatever, yeah. but there was, there was a group of people that decided that the time is now to drop it. And I do want to say that I, I read a book that I, I've been reminded of throughout this conversation. It's called The Octopus. It's about Danny Casalaro's murder. And it was written by my favorite deep researcher, Jim Keith. And I believe in that book or the other Casalaro book, The Dark Circle, I think, it goes into how just 40 years of developing bioweapons, but always having an antidote. Right. So you release the bioweapon, you retain the antidote, you can use it to protect your guys, yeah. you can use it to blackmail people. But I, I do think there's no way that this bioweapon didn't have an antidote. So no, no. whether it's effective or not, it doesn't just, matter. I think they had an antidote, but I don't I don't think that they knew the long-term negative externalities when they release it in such mass. There's been never okay, been- I totally disagree with that. I think that this is a, a plot against humanity. No, but I think the problem here is, is that- the, one of many problems, but one problem is I think that they released it before it was prime time. Okay. That's one issue. The other okay. issue is, is that we've never inoculated so many people in such a short amount of time with the same epitope. And we had no idea. The scientific community still doesn't have any idea what that really means in terms of societal immune systems. There's never been in a time in history ever that so many people have been inoculated in such a short amount of time with the same epitome. We don't know what that means. We, and you know, there's going to be negative externalities from that. I cannot believe just for the record that big pharma would release this thing and accidentally or recklessly, whatever, whatever. I cannot believe that it is a coincidence that this thing is going to lead to the biggest boom in pharmaceutical use in human history. Right. It absolutely no, is. It that. probably already has. I agree with that. I think that. So I think even if they knew there were holes in it, and maybe they some people didn't prefer that. I feel like. Well, I think there's that, two. There's there's two think lines of thought here. Yeah, there can be different. Things. You know, there's one line of thought. This is like nuclear war is going to cause more havoc and more 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 death. Than any yeah. and, and, than any vaccine injury, I get it. Okay, yeah. so no, I mean one, if it's so, a, so, if it's so a substitute Pentagon's for war, it, it's, that, you know. if we use biological warfare, it's it's a softer war, right? In terms of deaths, than and 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 total destruction than nuclear. I mean, the, the the way China, the conflict with China in the United States, if it really gets heated, it's it's moving much, much closer to nuclear war. It's not a war that the United States can win conventionally because of just the sheer numbers of people, right? So unless there's some sort of uprising internally that destroys the CCP. But, okay, so, so from, the, that, from the Pentagon's point of view, the, the collateral damage was justified. Now, you're right that there are a lot of things that are happening that big pharma could make a lot of money on, right? And I, I totally agree that that's where this is going because that is the long-term effects as we move towards a post-COVID era. The cancers, the AIDS-like syndrome, 
the autoimmune diseases, the clotting issues, all of the cardiovascular problems. Heart, right. Right. So, so there's going to be uh, money to be made in that, in, in that arena. But I don't think from the Pentagon's point of view, they cared if that was the case or not. Pharma cares. That's, you know, so, I mean. So, I like it. You know, um, okay. But it also, there's another component to this. As this is happening and we move into the, the post-COVID era, there is these powers, more powers coming to the national security state through what I call the bio, the Biopatriot Act. It's very similar to 9-11, but it's a slow 9-11. It's a slow, the Biopatriot Act is what for you? So the Biopatriot Act is something that I coined back on Doug Hagman's show in 2020. That's, and that is crazy. basically that when, when, when COVID hap starts, that there's going to be more powers that are going to be given to um, HHS, um, to the federal government for tracking, force vaccinating program, you know, this whole idea of vaccine passports, uh, uh, surveillance type technology to make sure that you you're, you've been boosted. So it's it's more of a survey. We're moving more towards a 1984 surveillance you know, world. Did we really get that act though, like a Patriot Act? That I think they I thought they used laws that were already embedded in prior. Well, they were. They, 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 no, it, the the Patriot Act elements of the Patriot Act uh, oh. went into this. Got it. All right, but. As surveillance things aspect. were sunsetting, yeah. there's additional powers that they needed to yeah. be able to go through this crowd crisis. And uh, if it wasn't for people showing how much um, how much damage force vac the vaccine program was was eliciting, we they would probably have gained more power in this BioPatriot Act kind of setting. Another thing, if you remember. Back in either late 2020 or early 2021, uh, Nancy Pelosi was pushing for a digital wallet. Remember, she was saying, "Yeah, I do." Right. So this whole digital, this like moving towards a digital currency, and this idea of well, yeah, if right. you don't obey the policy, whatever the policy is, such as forced vaccines or whatever, um, or uh, you know, staying at home or staying in your sector. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, that, that, that it's not funny, you know, but, but, yes, you, I know but, but you know, but, but, uh, they would turn you off. And that's exactly what happened to the truckers that were mm -hmm. doing the protest in, in Canada. Canada with yeah. Freelander ends up pulling their, their bank accounts. So this is kind of like the Biopatriot Act is the, is kind of like the 1984, all right, of our era that is that's taking the Patriot Act and putting it on steroids. Got it. Okay, so um, where was I? All right, so it's dropped in 2019 in China. All right, the first official case is uh, is documented in the hospital in China around December 16th. All right, they end up doing all the CT scans and the x-rays and it has all that glass opacity and the white yeah. lung and all that. And they take the lavage and then they were able to sequence the fluid that they took from this patient. 
and they and they had to sequence this. So it has to be what happens is that they're building what is called building a content file. So it goes through a whole process, but they're actually sequencing something that's that they don't know. And what pops up when they do that sequencing and put it into the known database, all right, was SARS and BATSARS. The freaking sequence that Dr. Xi was developing and what Barrick was really yes is that true yes and yeah. is that is that you can see on, is that a real see. coincidence or is it kind of always in every like no, it no, could no, have no, been no, anything no 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 that's, that's a signature that it was man made right that was that's one hundred percent there was a signature and is this that was disputed by anyone officially with any credibility or not what you're saying is just there's little known camps. but there's, is there's it there's this zoonotic camp that's trying to hide the weapons program there are people like me that's saying we need to shut down Barrick's lab Barrick right. it's on the CV. He made SARS. He made SARS. But this, but this signature that you're looking at, I, I've seen that. I, I know what you're talking about. It, would you say that the documentation that you've seen that convinces you would, if any other scientists were honest about it, definitely convince them also? Or could somebody have a reasonable dispute over it? I think when you look at what she, Dr. She did in 2008, with the HIV homology, and she mixed it with bat SARS and SARS. That is the key linchpin of the bioweapons program. Okay, so so people don't understand that, but so and you think it was dropped, not leaked. The United States released it. Now, one of the releases could have been an inside job, right? From Wuhan. When we say lab leak, most people say, oh, it's accidental. Right. It's That's not accidental. A, it can't be. It's right. not accidental. This was on purpose. Who do you think made that decision? I think it was JSOC and SAC. Got it. Now, did they get did they get approval from President Trump? I don't know. And if they didn't get that approval from, from President Trump, that's scary because then you have a group of people that are running rogue. Yes, I would assume now, it's that also if scary. presidents give approval, right, right, it's because right. they're told to. Right, but it would also <laughs> be scary if Trump gave the gave the go ahead. Right. So either way, it's scary, and this is why I keep on going back to you got to get to the root cause of the problem. Root cause of the problem is mankind has been making things in the laboratory that they shouldn't have been making. Yeah, that's outrageous. And they and they, it needs to be shut down. All right. So so in so this. This uh, sequencing from this patient in in December um, eventually gets published in Nature, and then this is one of the sequences that um, that's data banked at the at the NIH database. So uh, so that's like the first case. So when someone says it's never been isolated, it's never been sequenced, that's the first one, right? And so it, that paper is like another key important like showing it's like the virus does exist and it matches to plug sequences from these researchers that were been doing all this gain of function research from 2008 to 2015. And this was out of patient zero in December, 2019. That's where they got the Dece sequence. Dece and you said that's December, right. 2019. Yeah. I believe, I believe he was hospitalized on the 16th. Okay. So, 
And, okay. And then I think the sequencing was on the 26th, something like that, somewhere in there. Okay. All right. So, so, uh, all right. So now it starts to take hold in Wuhan. No one has antibodies naturally, right? Because this is new. And uh, it starts to create a lot of havoc in Wuhan. It eventually gets to the United States and in, in, uh, in Italy and it starts to spread. And all right, the, everything that was released doesn't have the D614G mutation. That happens a little bit later in the year, May or June, all right? That mutation is important because that mutation allows for the S1 and the S2 subunit to fold better. Right, that mutation was a natural um, uh, phenomenon. That uh, a natural mutation. That's not a lab mutation. Right, and they must have anticipated a certain number of natural mutations. Right, yeah, right. When you release something, yeah. nature is going to take hold. Right, right. But then you, your response, your immune system also responds to these changes. Right, as we build up antibody, right, it's at the at the local level, right. So this D641G mutation is important because what it does is it, it reduces the S1, S2 shedding and it keeps the bind of that, of that, of that uh, protein, spike protein to assemble the, the, the viral. Now, when that happens, there are more viral load being assembled in the Golgi apparatus and being released. All right. So in the body, now it is more infectious. Right. So shedding is better for you, but bad for the people around you. Well, there's two types of shedding. There's like got it. cellular shedding, okay. and there's organism shedding, and so I'm, I'm we're, okay. All right, but, I got but it. I'm, but the point here is, is that there are S1 and S2. Uh, 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 the the assembly of this as that protein is folding, it's it's more correct. The reason being is, is that it doesn't have this repelling charge. An amino acid change at the 614 position allows for uh, a better, it doesn't have a repelling charge. So it, it, it sticks. Before that, uh, sometimes this protein would break off and the S1 and S2 wouldn't merge. And therefore your, your, your spike protein would, it wouldn't be very good. And, and I guess it would not be as effect, effective. A natural, a natural evolution for the things to survive that were more successful. You got it. Yeah. So, 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 so D641G mutates. This is where alpha, beta, gamma, delta all come from. All of them are off of the D641G line. So there was a release that's pre D641G. Nature takes hold. There's a mutation that happens and then alpha, beta, gamma, delta. And they all have different dynamics because they're all popping up in different regions of the world. They kind of like, there's an Indian version, there's an UK version, there's a Brazilian version, right? So, so uh, then that's taking you through like mid-2020 all the way through uh, most of 2021. Around October-ish, Omicron pops up. Right, Omicron is off of the D six four, the D six one four G line, but it has no 
evolutionary line to any of the others, the alpha, beta, gamma, delta. There's a signal in the, in the genome, uh, insert, it's, it's, it's labeled insert 214 EPE. That insert is a signature of, of a mutation, of a uh, manipulation in the laboratory, and then another release. So what happened was after the, six, the D641G mutation takes place, and they realize the S1 and S2 assembly is better in the cell, they take that out of nature and put it into the laboratory, all right, and further enhance it. While alpha, alpha, beta, gamma, delta are, are taking hold still, all right, they took that out of the population in, in around June of 2020. Omicron doesn't hit South Africa until around October 2021. And what do they say? It SARS-CoV-2, right when the mutation starts with D641G, jumps into a rat or a mouse, hides in the mouse population in South Africa, and then all of a sudden in, on, in October, which during this period of time, if you remember in 2021, a lot of protesting was going on with the whole mandates, especially in Europe. Right. All right? And bam. I remember. Yeah. Om- Omicron uh, pops up. The cover story And you is, think then that's not a natural one. That was another inserted one. That's the second lab release. Okay. The, sec- the second wave of lab release. Yeah. All right, let's put it. So are these, when you mentioned to me the China... COVID waves, is that the three, were you referring to the three in August, October, and November of 2019, or are you talking about the current ones? For the agenda? For the... Uh, in the email, yeah, yeah you no, said no, no. that we could the talk COVID about these waves, The COVID waves, that, weren't, that, that was more what's recently happening. Good. I want to hear about that too. And we're going right. to, we have about 20 minutes left, right. but right. I do. Okay. So October, 2021. So that was the second big release. That was South Africa. That's like that number seem... four. That's like number yeah. four. Really. Got it. Okay. Right? So there was three releases in 2019, at least, at Got least, it. at least three. Right. And then there's one that happens in, in 2021 in October. This is Omicron. And then at that time, what is what's special about Omicron is, is that it can it uh, it's not as lethal, but it spreads much more rapidly. All right, so so that takes you into um, to to uh, all the way through two thousand and twenty two, but our wave in the United States, big wave, happens. In, in January, that's when my mother passed away. Um, and uh, Omicron starts getting all these other, because it spreads kind of rapidly, it can mutate, its, its mutation rates are pretty high, right? So there's a lot of stuff, right. it's like, you know, there, there's BA1, BA2, BA3, 4, 5, and then there are all these subvariants under it. Like BF- but that doesn't kill people then, right? The stuff that spreads like that doesn't, is much less it's, like, uh, it's, deadly. Well, there's, here's, here's the problem. And I think this dovetails into China, 
you know, just to put a capstone on the arc of SARS-CoV-2. So Barrick was making SARS, didn't work very well. With joint development with China, ended up adding HIV homology, which is the glycoprotein 120 gag in, in, in 41. And, um, and enhancing it in such a way where it is, it's more lethal, all right, because of the high affinity to the ACE2. It's deployed multiple times, all right? They have built in, in Barrick's lab the capability to use SARS-CoV-2 virus to package for influenza, which is what I call the fourth cocktail, or HIV, which is the fifth cocktail. All right. HIV's genome is about 10, depending on which version, but about 10,000 nucleotides. SARS-CoV-2 is 30,000 nucleotides. There's a lot of space for a Trojan horse. So this is the early, this is the first step for weaponizing HIV. Because HIV doesn't spread very well if you want to weaponize it. But if you can put it into a system that has a high affinity to a lot of different receptors, some of them are immune receptors that SARS-CoV-2 has now, then you have the perfect Trojan horse. You get a respiratory infection. As it starts to mutate, you end up getting HIV or some version of HIV. All right. So, um, so that's kind of like the full arc of what what the long plan is for this. Okay. Now in China, currently they have this white lung syndrome, right? This white lung, it's a severe pulmonary um, pneumonia component to it. Right. And their antibodies don't seem to be very good either because they lied about the vaccine program and they didn't administer vaccines or the vaccines they did give didn't work very well. Because what is interesting is, is that Western countries, as of right now, have not seen the, the death rate that, and, and the severe pulmonary problem like we saw in the first wave in, in New York and in California when no one had antibodies. So it seems as though something's not right about the lack of antibodies or the antibodies that they were given just doesn't work with the, the virus that they have. And that these weight, so Shanghai and, and Beijing, which are epicenters, right, that started this, this new wave in China, the white lung, I call it the white lung wave. The white lung wave is starting to go down in number of cases, all right? So it's, it's peaked and starting to go down, but it's moving towards the rural area now. But in the rural area, the healthcare is almost non-existent and they're running out of medications. So what's going to happen is, is there going to be a, there's going to be a, a mutation that takes place in China and that there's going to be there's going to be a propagation wave between rural China and to the epicenters like Beijing. And there's going to be another wave. So it's going down right and we saw this in in the United States when when beta was, you know, uh, going back and forth, right? So so Beijing is going down in cases. The rural area is going up. 
mutation's going to happen. It's going to propagate. Now, the question is, is it going to just propagate, with, go back and forth and then and go into homeostasis, you know, after, you know, maybe March, April, probably April, maybe. All right. But if something emerges out of there that our antibodies cannot hold back, then we're going to have another round of SARS-CoV-2 or COVID, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Now, there are, there are some data points that suggest that we're okay. And that is South Korea and Japan have received some of the variants that are going on in China. Their cases have gone up, but the severity has been somewhat controlled, except in the elderly. The elderly, the, the number of deaths are going up in the, uh, the elderly population. Are the symptoms different? Because the first time I had it, like my lungs felt like glass. The second time I had it, my muscles felt like lead. What's the signature profile of this, of this wave? This is, and... a, this is a good point that you're making. Individuals that have had SARS-CoV-2 before seem to have um, almost like, uh, like worse feeling than the previous hit. Really? That the, the, like the severity, the pulmonary severity isn't, the pulmonary severity is less, but okay. the other, the other pathological symptoms, maybe kidneys, maybe anemia, maybe, you know, it, it's a little bit different. So everyone that I've heard that has ha been, even in the United States, it's, that's, that has had SARS-CoV-2 multiple times, the second hit or the third hit was worse than their first hit. I'll but they were you, all, I took, but everyone yeah. that I've talked to that it, that has said this, they were all vaccinated. Okay, I wasn't vaccinated. My daughter was. We both got it at the same time. She did get it way worse, but her habits are worse. And I took three thousand milligrams of lysine, and it really turned me around. And then I did some research, and I'm not the only one. I think there were studies that nice. support that. So I don't know if I. Right, right. That well, was I mean, fun. you were you were intervening. But if let's say you didn't intervene, yes, you might have. My daughter had, or, was. You might have had a worse situation in your second round. Yeah, and I so, got it from her, and she was vaccinated. Right, right. So JC wants to know if the NIH gives you a hard time, or how to how to, do you ever get pushed back when? Because as soon as I get. I got warnings for the last show we did, and we didn't even really get into it the way we are this time. And I don't think you're super radical. I, I think your research is good, but I mean, we have a little, you don't go as far down the rabbit hole as I do as far as speculation. Your research certainly does. What's your, how do you, do you just stay below the radar, JC wants to know? Well, I mean, I wasn't able to get grants from my research, certainly NIH, that's right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I have had some blowback from institutions that I, that, that, you know, as a student that I've been at, um, you know, because of what I've been saying, uh, been, my hand's been slapped, you know, because of being in medical school and saying certain things that are against the CDC and the FDA. Um, but I view it as, uh, my duty to mankind and, uh, you know, uh, to have some sort of, um, be Paul Revere almost. Tell yeah, the public, yeah, yes. you know, hey, there's a warning. Uh, the United States is doing something they shouldn't. The scientific community has their head up their butt, and they're not paying attention to the vaccine injury. They're not paying attention to the weapons program. And we are not going to get to the bottom line, the, to the bottom of this scientifically, until we admit to some serious things. And that is mankind has been making things that they shouldn't be making, and that 
we have problems with the shield. You know, it's porous. And until so, we have more doctors yeah. seeing it like how I'm seeing it, we are not going to get to the root cause of the problem. We're only going to be putting a Band-Aid on it. So I know that you have done some of your advanced studies remotely over the years, but is can you keep a low profile by doing anything remotely in medical school? Do they have any of that? Or do you have to like show up for everything is like in the lab with other people who... You know, you can chit chat with, and they can flag you. Like, how do you? I mean, I just can't believe you can get away with this at all. Well, uh, it's hard. Let's just put it this way: it's hard. And I, I've had many talks about, you know, okay. about, about some certain things that I that I've said um, with the, you know, with the school. But, but uh, I, I keep on, I keep on flashing the the CV for Barrick. And yes. the, the yes. HIV research that was coming right out of Wuhan. Good. Right? The truth is, you know, truth should be a defense. I mean, right there is the evidence. So, right. um, and then it's not just the scientific, it's multiple pillars. This is why polymath, the, the polymaths are able to describe this way better than anyone that's in just the scientific community. And that's you. And I, right. I appreciate Well, that. it's not just my, myself, it's many yeah. others. But, 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 you know, the, the point here is, is that, when you step back and look at what the emergency powers were trying to capture in all these different countries, like New, New Zealand and like Australia, and oh, by the way, Australia actually funded some of the research for, for Wuhan uh, for that paper that I'm talking about in 2008. So, um, but the, the, the point is, is that there's, there's these you know, multiple pillars. It's not just the scientific issues, but all of these social constructs that start to build out of this, this crisis. So, um, the last, the, the, the last, um, item yes. was, uh, the post COVID disease, right? Well, as if, if China propagates internally only and, and, and it reaches homeostasis in April, if most likely it will, then the world will be moving into a post-COVID era, all right? Japan is downgrading the disease from a, a level or a, a class two to a class five. That means that any hospital can treat these patients. I believe they're going to be downgrading that in March or maybe late this month. The United States is moving away from emergency powers in May, all right? So if... If all that stays and nothing crazy happens, then we're moving into this post-COVID era. And what we need to, and this is, we're moving into a phase that's worse than the first phase. All right. And that is because you, from the previous show, I explained that there are negative externalities that came from the vaccine that can cause diseases and, and accelerate cancers. But same thing with the virus. The virus has proteins in it that can shut off tumor suppressor genes or t tumor suppressor pathways. And cancers can, can start or to go and go into acceleration mode. In addition, you have long COVID. We're just starting to understand what that really means. Multiple organ system problems. We also, through autopsy data, realize that you cannot clear SARS-CoV-2 when you get infected. It stays in certain tissue. 
It stays dormant. So there's a really? latent and a chronic phase. Yes. There's no way to clear it, no, like you, no, even with your no, natural no, remedies. No, 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 no. All you can do is once you get it, once you get it. Let me rephrase that. Yep. Once you get it and it reaches a certain viral load, then it, it increases the chances that it's going into the adipose tissue, into some of the colon cells. Right. Um, into uh, some of the adipose tissue that's around the heart, into your liver. So if you have a very low viral load, the probability of having additional hidden, latent, dormant SARS-CoV-2 is lower. But if you had a moderate infection or a severe infection, you're never going to get rid of SARS-CoV-2. Period, because it's it, it's it's hiding in in some of these macrophages that are that are uh, nascent, these M zeros. So so you know so there, the point here is is that we're moving into a phase that we're going to start seeing AIDS like syndrome because of these uh, opportunistic infections that are going to be taking hold, right? That are very similar to HIV or certain types of cancers that pop up because of an immune system that isn't working so so good. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that, that DNA repair mechanisms are shut down because of SARS-CoV-2 and the vaccine and or the vaccine. All right. Yeah, so, I believe so, that. You know, so, so, there's, so, these, so there's a lot of things that are going to be happening post-COVID era. And the post-COVID era isn't just because of the virus. It's also how we were administering the therapies or how we were administering the, the vaccine program. So uh, it's a lot of people are thinking acute am i going to die am i going to go to the hospital no okay then everything's fine no wrong the acute phase was the easy part let me repeat that the acute part of this was the easy part the harder part the one that you need to really worry about that's going to truncate your life expectancy is the post-covid era with the aids-like syndrome the autoimmune diseases the long covid the 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 reactivation of SARS-CoV-2 or another release, the third, you know, the, you know, instead of the third cocktail, a release of the fourth or the fifth. So people, it, once we get out of this crisis and you don't hear data being published on the news about SARS-CoV-2 cases and hospitalization, doesn't mean that we're not going to have an after, the after effect of this. And I think that People need to pay attention. Cancers are going to rise because of SARS-CoV-2, because of the vaccine program. Yeah, I, I believe all that. I just, I wonder though, if they do release more, I feel like unless it's a totally different thing, surely we're better prepared for it. Well, surely if they, if they release, if they, well, you're right. They could release another round of SARS-CoV-2. I think they won't do that. I think what they would release is either a merger of SARS-CoV-2 Okay. And, and influenza. And so you're going to start hearing the news about avian flu, H1N1 or H1N3 or whatever, whatever version they want to play with. And they're going to say, oh, because we have so many cases in the world of SARS-CoV-2, it just so happened to merge. Yeah, they're definitely pushing that avian right, flu. Right. right. So, so first, avian flu starts to pop up, right? And that the cover story from that 
will be, well, this is just a natural, you know, a natural yeah. thing that was happening. But then someone happened to get the avian flu. They happened to have SARS-CoV-2, happened to be maybe immune compromised and an AIDS, HIV patient in Africa. And then all of a sudden we have the fourth cocktail released. You know, that's the cover story. But what really happened was it was SARS-CoV-2 scaffolding with influenza package. Wow. And the same thing can play, play with HIV. You, you listen to the news. When, when SARS-CoV-2 was happening, right, Gilead was doing a lot of advertising, all right? Well, they, they were also makers of therapeutics for SARS-CoV-2, but they're also, yeah. they're, they are major makers for HIV drugs, all right? That's so, also emerging. I'm with you there. Like, I see that. Mm-hmm. So, so we... We're winding down. We have a hard out at the bottom of the hour. I am happy to, you know, other topics that you want to cover. We can always do a part three. But right now, why don't you tell people how they can find you, your work, products, anything that you want to tell people about, and uh, even, you know, your Twitter handle? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the best way to really see my work is, is to subscribe to some of my channels. I have six different channels. Uh, <laughs> All right, so I have three YouTube channels. They're heavily censored. Yeah. Certain content will will play, and uh, you have to take it down. But you'll find the backups uh, on Rumble, BitChute, and Brighton. And basically, my channels are Dr. Paul Cottrell. My very first channel was before I earned my PhD, so it was just Paul Cottrell. Um, and uh, so you can please subscribe there. That's where you get the video content. You can go to my uh, website, the studio reykjavikcom And I also have videos there. I also, you know, have the research that, 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 uh, that I'm talking about, you know, all the data points, you can download those PDFs, you know, and, and read yourself, get your own conclusions. I show information from the CDC, how cancer is increasing, you know, blood types, how that's related to SARS-CoV-2 and a lot of different things. All right. So go to the website under the medicine button, I believe it is. Uh, there's a ton of PDFs about uh, information that backs up what I'm saying. All right. That research that has been published. All right. So uh, and then also the best way I personally think to go through this crisis is a, a three pronged approach. And that is neutralize pathogens, reduce inflammation and reduce uh, reactive oxygen species. So to reduce pathogens, what I do is use uh, nano silver, uh, structural nano silver. It's a it's a uh, four oxygen molecule with 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 silver, and so it's AG four hundred four and um, liquid nano silver or gels. I sell soaps and lozenges and all this. So I partnered up with uh, ABL, which is a, a major laboratory that makes this stuff, the structure man- nanosilver. Uh, so that's the way to neutralize pathogens, all right? In terms of reducing inflammation, there's many ways to do this, but one way that I do it is, is to take uh, turmeric and, uh, and ashwagandha. The turmeric will bring down that, it's known to bring down inflammation. Right, but ashwagandha also controls blood glucose levels, and by controlling your blood glucose level, will also bring down that inflammatory response because of insulin. Right, so so uh, 
you know, bringing down that that uh, kind of like chronic you know, inflammatory response, you know, through the hmm. our normal life here in the everyday life, yeah, um, will help your immune system to fight things instead of fight the the chronic phase constantly. Yeah. My son is tormented by psoriasis. My son has Down syndrome, and the only real medical problem he has is this awful psoriasis. And I have been struggling so hard, and I have a feeling that it's inflammatory. It's autoimmune. It Maybe I'll try the turmeric. Psoriasis is, is an immune system that it's attacking. It's attacking the skin. So maybe I'll try this so, turmeric and so I also have a product that's specific to to actually the psoriasis. Um, what? So. It's called the the even better bar. It's made it, on my store. It's made by Rainbow Herbals, and um, it's all natural ingredients. Most of it is organic certified. Uh, and what you do is you put that on. It's a bar, and um, and you just put it on the area of the skin, and it's it's great for for the psoriasis, oh, eczema, eczema um, pain. Uh, like uh, muscle pain after a workout, a uh, cut, abrasion, uh, let's say uh, maybe uh, sunburn. So you put that on every day. But I would also, because of the psoriasis issue, I would also uh, boost that up with the turmeric. Okay. Because the idea is, is you, you want to bring down, you want to try to bring down those cytokines, the yeah. pro-inflammatory cytokines that are recruiting the T cells. So yeah, if you just, so what happens is these T cells are coming in and they're attacking that dermal layer, right? And what's 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 happening is, is that that with psoriasis it it, it doesn't want to flake off. So the, the so it kind of sticks. It sticks on and just builds and builds. The keratin just keeps on building, building. So um, you want to bring down that inflammation. That's the whole idea is to bring down that inflammation. That would be great. Um, I'm and just then desperate. Uh, our, the, the other pillar, the last pillar is the reduced reactive oxygen species. Taking C60, I sell it in, uh, in coconut and avocado, four ounce, uh, two ounce, four ounce, or eight ounce bottle. Uh, C60 is a very strong antioxidant. All right. Very strong. I take a teaspoon of it a day. And what that will do is bring down that that reactive oxygen species. And because of that, your, your mitochondrial health will improve and have more ATP. When you have more ATP, your body will be able to heal better because all your cellular products, most of your cellular processes are running off of ATP, right? So it, your, your protein, your protein pumps that have to run on ATP, if you're low on ATP, they're not working so well. So the protein pumps, uh, aren't working. Uh, the proton pumps aren't working very well. So the, the point I'm making here is, is that it's, it's a, it's a three pronged approach, right? Bring down reactive oxygen species, neutralize pathogens, bring down inflammation, and that will boost up your immune system to be able to fight. I, those things, I mean, particularly anti-inflammatory and antioxidant, I mean, any, any chronic illness or things that plague you, especially as you get older, those are the two things that always seem to come up. So I'm going to look into this and I will tell you the proof will be in the pudding for this kid's skin. Cause if he, if he, if he doesn't respond to anything, if I can get a response out of that, maybe I'll talk to you offline about that at another time, but we've got to go. I thank you so much, Dr. Cottrell. That was so interesting. I put up here 
the Studio Reykjavik website. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'll put our last show in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next time. This is Monica Perez, and you have been listening to Live Dives on Deep Dives with Monica Perez. Monica Perez.